I'm driven by making a difference. And just doing search work doesn't really make a difference for anybody. Because as I said, if you're not addressing the underlying problems, recruiting is just a Band-Aid. You're not fixing anything. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Today on episode 614 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with the founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, Carol Schultz. Carol pivoted her own business into one where she helps companies build talent-centric organizations. This is a great example of creating deep alignment between your expertise, your values, and what your audience needs. Stay with us to hear all the details. The kind of pivot Carol made in her business takes courage, confidence, and support. Courage and confidence are supported when you're in a community with like-minded individuals. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll experience the camaraderie of supportive, collaborative colleagues. You'll also find a range of tools and resources to support your business, access to experts, and answers to your burning questions. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com slash community. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Now let's welcome Carol Schultz. Carol is a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory expert and founder and CEO at Vertical Elevation. Over the past 29 years, she's honed her expertise and formed an intrinsic understanding of successful recruiting and alignment processes. Recognized for her proficiency in corporate leadership, Carol has helped executives gain clarity in their careers, created a culture of performance for their teams, and made bold leadership moves. A firm believer in supporting executives to become more confident leaders, she has advised countless individuals and companies from pre-seed stage startups to publicly traded companies. Carol, welcome to the show. David, thanks for having me. Carol, tell me a little bit about how you developed your expertise. It sounds pretty deep, and and I'd love to hear a little bit about sort of what's behind that. Well, you know, I started in the search industry in 1992, so I have a few gray hairs. I started my coaching training in 1998, my training and development. And a number of years ago, probably in 2008, I literally walked away from my practice because there is so much broken in recruiting and there is so much broken in coaching. (laughs) And when I looked back on the experience that I had and what I had done, I really decided that a major change was necessary. And that's where I came up with the idea of building talent-centric organizations and why that makes more sense. So what specifically did you notice was broken? Well, when companies have turnover, David, they start focusing on replacing open positions and turn to recruiting naturally. The problem is if you haven't created a talent-centric organization, turnover just becomes a never-ending battle. Recruiting is really just a Band-Aid that never addresses the underlying problems. So companies have to get to the core issues and they may not even recognize those. So what that looks like is starting at the executive team level and board level 
and making sure or even aligning this organization of men, men and women. So what's an example of a core issue that that may be problematic? Well, for example, when I walk in and do discovery with an executive team, and I do this individually, and with the board, my first question, after all the you know niceties, is what's your vision for the company? And I'm really listening carefully to see what the individual visions are. Like, are they truly aligned? I'll also ask questions like, what do you believe is the most important department in the company? Which, by the way, is a red herring. <laughs> yeah, why? Because I may often hear from sales, well, we're the most important department in the company. And then, you know, the technology, well, wait a minute, we're the most, we're the most important. You know, without products, you can't do anything. Well, guess what? Without sales, you can't do anything. Without great marketing, you can't do anything. Without great customer success, you can't do anything. So the red herring is really, there is no most important department in the company. (laughs) They are all of equal importance, really. And that's where the conversations start. I want to learn how each individual came to the company, what it was about the company that attracted them. And, you know, then I report back to whoever hired me. It's either the CEO or someone on the board. And I make it really clear in these conversations, David, that what I'm looking for is a culture of feedback. If a company doesn't have it, we're going to build that for them. No matter what they say to me, it's not going to risk their job. Now, if it turns out that somebody's really in a proper fit for this, then we may move them out. Yeah, talk to me a little bit more about this culture of feedback because um, yeah. I personally have experienced relatively few companies that truly have a culture of feedback. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of companies, David, just are around blowing sunshine up people's skirts. They say, oh, talent is the most important thing. And yes, we have a culture of feedback. And, and when the rubber meets the road, it's just really not true. Culture of feedback really allows for anyone in the company to provide feedback to not only their peers, but to their up aboves, their managers, without risk of being fired, punished, whatever that might look like. Part of that, really the important piece of that is how you say that to someone. You know, we've all heard it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you really can't go to your boss and say some really horrible things about them being, you know, I mean, fill in any four-letter word, really, right? It's saying it, and that leader, and this is where leadership training development is so important, where that leader can actually hear that as a contribution to them, not as a criticism, Yeah. So I'd love to hear some stories about how this plays out. Um, The one (laughs) thing, if if you have something you can share, the one thing that occurs to me is if an organization doesn't know that this is an issue for them, how do you even begin the conversation with them? And why would they approach you? Why would they retain your services? Yeah. That's a really fantastic question. That's like the $64,000 question without any um, inflation, right? Right. But maybe maybe there's a story that can, can sort of illuminate yeah. how, this, how this plays out and how it has actually worked. Yeah. It typically comes from somebody saying, hey, can we hire you to do search work? We're having a ton of turnover. <laughs> and I really don't want to do search work anymore. I don't pursue search work at all anymore. I will take on 
limited amounts of search work only for companies who I've either built a town-centric organization for or who are looking to build that process from, from scratch. I don't work with large companies because what drives me is the opportunity to make a difference. I'm never going to make a difference at IBM, SAP, you know, fill, Oracle, fill in the blank of any of these giant companies because I don't believe they're truly committed to building town-centric organizations. So it comes from the need of somebody calling me and saying, hey, you know, we hear you're really great. Uh, we'd like to hire you to do some search work. And I start asking them questions. Why? What's the problem? What are your challenges that you're encountering? Right? So if what I start to hear based on my questions is, as I said to you early, recruiting is just a Band-Aid that never addresses the underlying problems. I mean, I'm going to ask them, why do you think you're having turnover? People don't leave. People leave managers. They don't leave jobs. That is so true. Right? So... Whoever's calling me, that's what I want to find out. Why do you think that you're having turnover? Why have you had, I mean, I had a prospect years ago. Gosh, I this must, maybe around 2008, 2009, somebody I'd known for many years had taken a job as the head of sales for a small company headquartered somewhere here in Colorado. <laughs> and he was the going by memory, the fifth or the sixth, I think the fifth head of sales in seven years, David, seven years, five heads of sales. Now, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know there's a problem here. And the common denominator is a problem with the company. I had a conversation with the main venture capitalist, also here in Colorado, about this problem and I think he's probably learned a lot since then, this individual. He's very well known. And I said to him, well, he actually said to me, are you saying that we don't know how to hire? I'm like, well, that's probably part of it, but that's not really the problem. The problem is they had a chief, I think it was a chief strategy officer, because I did some due diligence. I went out and got G2 on the company before this conversation. And people said the chief strategy officer was a cancer quote, a cancer to the company. He would gossip with other employees about other people. I mean, what do you think in there, man? You know, and the CEO was just, you know, was his buddy from, you know, graduate school. <laughs> Which is pretty common, these kinds of right. situations. Right. And I'm not here to say you shouldn't hire people you've worked with or that you know from the past. I'm here to say, if you're going to do that, you better do it right. And you better make sure that... The people that you're bringing in are truly a cultural fit because, I mean, forget about the part that people leave managers, but over half of employees leave jobs in the first 18 months for reasons that have nothing to do with their skills and abilities. What's that leave you with? Leaves you with cultural fit. You know, people talk about culture a lot. So, I mean, it's a, become a buzzword, but really, are you going to walk the walk? Like, really? Now, in a case like that, where mm -hmm. the CEO had somebody in a high-level position who was had a longstanding personal relationship, how receptive is a CEO like that to hearing that the problem is his or her close friend? He wasn't because the venture capitalist wasn't. It was the venture capitalist that was the old college roommate of the CEO. Ah, got it. Okay. So I apologize for that that was not clear. 
I believe there was also a relationship with this individual that they hired. But, you know, the venture capitalist was, you know, just, I mean, the CEO is no longer the CEO <laughs> now, but they were completely not open to the conversation. And if somebody's not open, it's kind of like with coaching. You can't, if people are not coachable, I'm not interested in working with them. Why? All they're going to be doing is pissing away money. And you know what? I don't need that agita. I really don't. It's too much brain damage for me. And it's unlikely to work well or work well, at all. That's right. But there are people out there who will take your money because they want it, they need it, whatever. I'm sorry, I'm not interested in that. So what's an example of a client where they're they're receptive to this the kind of transformation that you teach? It's somebody who's actually open to first understanding that, and I say this all the time, you don't have business problems, you have personal problems that show up in your business. <laughs> there is no true way to separate who we are as human beings in our personal life from who, what we bring to our business life. I mean, we can do, we all work hard to not bring our personal stuff into business, but it's not, it's not fail, it's not foolproof as hard as we want to work on it. No, we're, we're integrated human beings. Right, of course we are. It's, so why can't we live integrated lives? Right, exactly. So what ends up happening is it has to be somebody who's actually open to mindset shifts and to understanding and looking at where their blind spots are. We live in a world, David, of three, three areas. You know what you know, you know what you don't know, but where great coaching works is in the third area of you don't know what you don't know or your blind spots and discovering those. And they take time. They take peeling back the onion. They take asking question after question after question after question. A lot of people think, and we can talk about this if you'd like, but a lot of people think that what they're giving is coaching is not really coaching. It's just an advisory service. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I know you have some strong opinions. Um, I we do. chatted a little bit offline before uh -huh. this. Yeah, let's let's go there. So, like the business that I was in for 29 years, Executive Search, coaching, there is a low or no barrier to entry. Just like real estate, right? You know, ever work with a realtor? What are your opinions on realtors? There's a very low barrier to entry. Even even Yeah. Much of uh, what happens in financial services, it's another industry with the, the low barrier to correct. entry. They, there are certifications that you need to go through to be able to sell certain products. Right. And awful lot of people that I've come across say, well, I'm, I'm a wealth manager and uh, they, they, you know, can't even rub two sticks together themselves. Right. Well, and you make a really great point. That's the problem with a certification. That doesn't mean you're any good at doing it. It means you've, you've reached, if there's a certification... It means you've reached a minimum level to say, I did this. And there are a lot of coaching trainings that are like that. You've reached a minimum level. You know, if you look at low barrier to entry jobs, you know, what's your opinion on, like, what's the percentage that are really the best in those fields? Would you, would you assert? Oh, probably fewer than 5%. That is correct. And that's generally the answer I get somewhere around 2%. Two to five is generally what I hear from people. So- how do you, you know, if that's the case, how do you go about and even knowing what a coach is? If the people that you're talking to are the kind of coach who is just gonna, an advisor, an advisor is not going to, if you can't change mindset, all the advice in the world, in my opinion, 
been in, you know, not like I just, just walked into this job. All the counsel in the world is not going to change things for you because it's your mindset that has to be changed, you know? And then, you know, part of the coaching work is advisory work, right? So you discover something about someone's mindset. I've had those epiphanies myself over the years. And once you discover what's under your mindset and where you need to make a shift, now you can put a structure in place that prevents you from having that mindset limit you further. And you can start actually moving forward. Does that answer your question? Oh, yeah. Yeah, very <laughs> much so. So, um, you know, going back to your, your own specialty yeah. as, um, you know, somebody who helps create talent-centric organizations, mm-hmm. what's an example of a company that is handling talent well? Well, I'll tell you, I just um, signed a contract, I, I had mentioned, and since it's at the front of my mind or at the top of mine, with an Israeli firm. And they really have realized that, and now they approached me and I explained to them, if I am not convinced that you are a talent-centric organization, I will not do the search for you. And, you know, it's very interesting because they said, hey, we absolutely are, we absolutely are. Now, as I move into my kickoff with them, I'll really discover whether they are, in fact, I mean, are they a culture of feedback and so on and so forth? And are they truly aligned? And you know, that is an opportunity as we start the kickoff process for me to discover, are they truly talent-centric? But what they have done to even go through the process of hiring me to do this initial work for them tells me the importance that talent is to them and doing it the right way. And that doesn't mean that there won't be other work, you know, from a standpoint of working with their executive team and coaching them down the road, if necessary. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Carol, I want to shift a little bit and, and talk about what you've done in your own business, mm-hmm. right? Because you have, you're in the process of a major pivot, as you yes. kind of alluded to. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about your thought process, kind of preceding the pivot and how you're feeling about the pivot and yeah. where you want it to go. Yeah. So my thought process was, as I had mentioned to you earlier, in all the years that I've been doing this, as we talk about the low barrier to entry to coaching, to recruiting, there's just so much dreck out there. (laughs) How does anyone find someone who really knows what they're doing? And because I'm really driven, and I have for many, many years, I'm driven by making a difference. And just doing search work doesn't really make a difference for anybody. Because as I said, if you're not addressing the underlying problems, recruiting is just a Band-Aid. You're not, gonna, you're not fixing anything. So what had prevented me from making the pivot was how do I walk away from all this money I'm making? <laughs> right? And I finally really decided that it made sense that if I really wanted to follow my heart and where I was truly committed to making a difference, I had to walk away from my search practice and I had to walk away from the money and I had to start spending and completely making a pivot, taking all the knowledge I've got for 29 years and pivoting it into this process that I built. How am I feeling about it? Fabulous. <laughs> like I'm starting to see the, this, this uh, contract that I just mentioned, this came out of this pivot. And somebody else that I had interviewed for my podcast posting on his social media this is a former founder, very successful, had sold his last company for north of $500 million to a very well-known, you know, Silicon Valley company. 
And he posted and couldn't gush enough about me. And I started getting phone calls. It was very interesting. Yeah, well, congratulations on uh, having you. the courage to make the pivot. Well, it certainly takes some chutzpah. I'll it definitely takes some chutzpah. And there's, um, it's, it's way more rewarding mm-hmm. when you know that what you're doing is really in deep alignment with your values. Well, and not just that. I mean, literally everything I'm doing. So, you know, we talked earlier. I mean, people that are entrepreneurs are making a pivot like I've made. You have to, you just have to figure out where am I going to get the money to spend if you don't already have it? I mean, you may already have it in your savings. And, you know, the question is you have to balance, right? Do I want to keep doing what I'm doing or am I willing to go into that savings? Or I have an LMA account with Merrill Wealth Management. So when I need money, I get my money out of there. It's practically, you know, my broker personally sets the interest on that. And he says, you'll never even notice there's interest. It's going to be so low right? Because they've got a lot of my money. They don't want to gouge me. (laughs) Doesn't make sense for them to do that. So if you have an opportunity to get low interest loans that you can, you know, an account where you can take money out of, that's what you should be doing. It takes money to make money. And, you know, I hired a company to completely redesign, rebrand everything. My website was completely redone. I have an amazing web developer in Poland. He built everything. I have a social media company in London. They're amazing. I have a YouTube social company. They're here in the States. You know, I've got different people around the world doing things for me that I'm paying money. The best thing I can advise anybody is to spend money on people where their genius is where yours is not. Don't be cheap and think you can do it all yourself. I've got a book coming out in January that's completely aligned with this whole process. Because you're creating a new business. That's right. But a lot of people are going to try to do it on the cheap. I know people who've who've done it that way. And it doesn't work. I had a podcast company that I paid and they did a good job. But once we split up, I realized everything they actually weren't doing and have hired new people, rewritten emails that they get ahead of time. A lot of stuff that I realized why they're just, they just, they weren't actually doing any editing. Yeah. You know, we still make mistakes, but, you know, at least it got me launched. And now we've, you know, I've pivoted to doing it a bit of a different way. And it's working out much better. So don't think, don't think by spending the money means you're not going to make a mistake or two. You still are. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Hopefully those will be at the minimum, right? You won't be making that many mistakes. That would be the only, I think, mistake as we moved forward. But other than that, yeah. Well, Carol, I, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story, coming on the show. My pleasure. Um, Yes, we've talked a lot about what you've done personally, how you do it, who you serve, et cetera. Uh, It's been a great conversation. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed or access all this great content that you have and your book when it's out, where's the best place for them to go? Well, my website, verticalelevation.com. People can certainly email me, carol at verticalelevation.com. Uh, once the book's out, I'm sure we will uh, post it to the website as well. Okay. And and is there an offer that you wanted to make specifically for our audience? Yeah. Anybody who would like to actually have a free coaching session, I'm happy to do it. A lot of coaches don't actually spend time coaching you. They end up spending time trying to sell you on why they should, you should hire them to coach. So if somebody has something they want to work on, I'm more than happy to to spend an hour with them and actually work on that for them and with them. That's a great offer. Thank you so much for that. 
Yeah, my pleasure. So again, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. My guest has been the founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, Carol Schultz. Thank you again, Carol, for joining us. Thanks, David, for having me. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. The kind of pivot Carol made in her business takes courage, confidence, and support. Courage and confidence are supported when you're in a community with like-minded individuals. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll experience the camaraderie of supportive, collaborative colleagues. You'll also find a range of tools and resources to support your business, access to experts, and answers to your burning questions. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com slash community. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.